0: John 16. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but he will, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I go to the father they said therefore what is this that he says a little while we do not know what he is saying now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and he said to them are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, And I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, see now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Maybe see. be seated.
1: Good morning, let's try that one more time. Good morning, oh much better. The second time, why is it? The second time is always with a little more gusto. First time, let's let's get first time, first time. The word is open before us to John 16. We've been tracking, for those of you that haven't been here with us, we the last few weeks have been John 13, John 14, John 15, and now we've arrived this morning at John chapter 16. And we'll finish next week with John 17. These uh, chapters in the gospel of John... ...that give us a look and see inside the window... ...of those few hours before the cross. The heart of Christ before going to the cross. A few scriptures just up front... ...that I think are, are appropriate in light of John chapter 16. They all come from the gospel of John. In John chapter 7... We'll come back to this at the end. But I do believe it's important here up front to read. 7 verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke... Concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Keep a hold of that. That's an important verse in light of some of the things we'll be looking at today. If we see also in John 14, in John 14, a few weeks ago, uh, looking at verses 16 through 18... Jesus says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A few verses later in John 14, 26, 27, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Those of you that have a hard time remembering things, this is wonderful news. ...because the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your attention... ...bring to your mind the very things of Christ. Look at 27. Peace I leave with you. We're going to come back on that too. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. If we skip one chapter into 15... And we look at the end in 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus says. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Well, all this talk of the Holy Spirit to come. Remember, the Spirit has not yet come as you get to John 16. There's lots of talk of the Holy Spirit. There's plenty of Jesus reminders. If you have the red letter edition, you know they're Jesus reminders of the Holy Spirit to come. Okay, Plenty of Jesus reminders about the person of the Holy Spirit and the role that he has in the life of a believer in Jesus. Now, Some of you need to hear that again. You see, the Spirit of God has a role a ministry in the life of a believer in Jesus okay he has a role he has a work and this work by the way is not a work of his own but that which he hears from the Father that which he hears from Christ and so what we have here. In these verses in the middle of John's gospel, we see right now as we get to 16, anticipation is building. The hour is at hand. And John 16 is is really the final chapter of direct instruction because next chapter is going to be Jesus praying to the Father. Okay, So at the end of 16, these are really his last direct words, if you will, before he gets arrested in the garden and taken and tried unjustly. Before he goes to the cross. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Helper, the Spirit of Truth, is about to arrive on the scene. In June, we're going to begin a study in the book of Acts, and and, and this is going to be a great segue into where we're going come June as we look here in John's Gospel. It's a prelude to what happens in the book of Acts. See, according to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus spent 40 days visiting his followers post-resurrection. Another 10 days elapsed before the ascension in Acts 1. So we have 50 days from Passover, from death, resurrection period, to the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. So as a way of really putting a time frame around the events at hand, the Holy Spirit's arrival as we read John 16 is now less than two months away. Okay? Less than two months away. Look at John 16. I want to read the first few verses. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Then we get to 5 and 6. But now I go away to him who sent me. That would be the Father, right? And none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. So, so context here Jesus communicates with his disciples about the things to come so that they might not stumble when they actually come to pass. He's putting the truth before them about what others might do to them as a result of being a follower of Jesus. He's leaving. But before leaving, he passes along instructions for how to live the remainder of their days. He's already told them that he's going to come to them. John 14, 18, he's already said that. But the how of it all, the specific details of of how the Holy Spirit is going to come. He keeps saying the Holy Spirit, this other helper, another counselor, he's coming. But the how of it all, the details of it all, the specifics, how he's going to carry out his purposes in them. Jesus doesn't give all the details. Have you ever been there where you've asked some of the same questions perhaps? How? Lord, how? I I see what your word says. How? This is where the disciples are at. They're hearing the message. And yet they're wondering how? What's this going to really look like? How's this going to get played out, Jesus? And they're they're about to find out how it's going to happen come Acts 2. But for now, they still don't know. So the Spirit is coming. And the text says that sorrow fills the hearts of Jesus' followers. That's context. Sorrow is filling their hearts. Sorrow about what? Sorrow, I believe, about the fact that he's leaving. He's not going to be there. I would imagine being a disciple, following Jesus around for some two and a half, three years, I'd probably have some sorrow in my heart too if I knew he was going to be leaving. Sorrow perhaps, at least in part, of what's in store for them upon his departure. I mean, there's not a whole lot of us here that like to hear people are going to put you out He said, "Put you out of the synagogue and they're going to think it's a service to God they're doing when they kill you. Well, that's not real great news. Sorrow about the unknown, sorrow about uncertainties, about the path that lies ahead of them apart from Jesus being physically with them. Now, when you look at the text, do you find anything puzzling about John 16, 5? John 16, 5. And you need to look at it in order to know what I'm talking about. So go ahead and look at it. Okay. John 16, 5. Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Back in John 13, 36, you might recall, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And just a few verses later in John 14, 5, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Now, some, as you study this out, some believe John 16 was just essentially out of order with John 13 and 14. I, I, don't, I don't believe so. I, I tend, to, tend to believe that's a man-made way to make the text fit. It's, it is puzzling. It is a little difficult. I believe in John 13 and 14, the question, where you are going. They wanted to know the place that Jesus was headed. And we we talked about that a few weeks ago. The place he's headed, where's he going? He's going to the Father's house, right? And Jesus says, I am the way to the Father's house. That's where I'm going. Here in John 16... When Jesus says, I go away to him who sent me to my father's house and none of you asks where you're going. I believe he's pointing their attention. Keep in mind context. Keep in mind what's about to happen. I believe he's pointing their attention to the immediate. Yes, he's going to the father, but in route to the father is a cross. A cross. That's where he's about to go. And none of His followers have asked Him about this. Oh, they've heard plenty about it, but the disciples have not really had much to say about the cross. They've shied away from talking about the cross because surely the Messiah, the Christ, is not going to go to a cross. You see, they've been focused upon His departure ...about the fact that he's going to be gone... ...about how they will be treated in his absence... ...about why they cannot go with him right now. The cross has not been in the discussion. The cross, though, is the centerpiece of Jesus' departure, is it not? <laughs> That's the centerpiece. He's about to go to the Father's house... ...through the door of the cross. John sixteen seven. Nevertheless... I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the sorrow that filled the hearts of the disciples is being addressed right here in, in, in verse 7. The sorrow is in fact being addressed throughout the entirety of chapter 16. Comes to a, a, a Conclusion, an emphatic conclusion in 33, right? Take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. And You know, I got to thinking about the context and about these sorrowful hearts. And thinking about Jesus and who Jesus is and thinking about that he's about ready to go to the cross. And thinking about what the cross accomplished and thinking about the Holy Spirit to come. And I was wondering about today. If even as I speak, if there are any sorrowful hearts here today. I want you to understand something. That that you sit today on the other side of the cross. You sit on the other side of the resurrection. You sit on the other side of the Holy Spirit's arrival at Pentecost. My question for you. Is it possible that you too have missed where Jesus was going? Have you missed out on his departure by way of the cross? Are you living as though the cross made all the difference? And so see, having all the picture before you, what is there to be sorrowful about? Please understand, I have no intention of minimizing any sorrow, sadness that may be happening right now in your home, in your own life. But I am calling your attention and pointing your attention toward the cross of Christ. You see, if if Jesus went to the Father's house through the door of the cross, and you sit here today harboring a sorrowful heart, you need to remember something. Jesus' going to the Father's house by way of the cross was not simply an added destination on the way. No, you see, the cross was the Father's way for His Son to come home. He had charted out the course for His Son's return. You see, the cross did more than get Jesus home with His Father. The cross, church, was redemptive. It accomplished the very purposes of God and and put a stamp of approval on Christ's visit to earth. You see, going back to the Father any other way, apart from the cross, church, if that happened, you and I would still be in our sins. As Paul says, our faith would be futile. He's speaking there specifically about the resurrection. But praise the Lord, Jesus went to the Father's house by way of the cross. Amen? By way of the cross, that's good news. That's real good news. So send a reminder to your sorrowful heart that the cross is the place of my redemption. It's the place where I was pardoned. It's the place where mercy was great and grace was free. Remember that song? It's the place where having been far away, I'm now brought near through the blood of Jesus. The cross is the place of my justification where I became viewed as if I had never sinned. It's the place where I became viewed as if I'd always obeyed. It's the place where the righteousness of Christ by faith is imputed to me. The cross is the place where the burdens of my heart rolled away. The cross is where Jesus took my sins and He declared them to be paid in full. Sorrowful hearts. Please listen. Jesus went to the Father's house by way of this cross. Don't miss that. Now, notice that Jesus oftentimes here in these chapters of John refers to this Holy Spirit to come as a helper. Parakletas, the helper. It's a very fitting word some translations maybe say comforter. It's a great title for the Holy Spirit. You think about a helper, one who comes alongside of someone else for a particular purpose. And you know, I was, I was thinking about helper and thinking about how in our home we have several helpers, especially nowadays as we're getting things, seems like constantly clean and trying to get it ready. And we've got all kinds of helpers. Wonderful helpers. We got vacuum helpers. We got dusting helpers. We've got mow the grass helpers. We've got all kinds of helpers. Praise the Lord for helpers. Right? You probably have them in your own home. I hope. Lord willing. But you know, there's a helper here in the text. Serves a much greater role and purpose in the life of a believer. He's the comforter. He's the one who comes alongside of you. He's a guide. He's a teacher. He's an encourager. And notice that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming upon his departure. So here it is. He leaves, Jesus leaves, and the Spirit will be sent to them. He stays, no spirit coming. Why? Why couldn't they both be around? Wouldn't that have been neat? I mean, after all, it would have been, you know, Jesus giving a little tutorial of how the Spirit's going to work. You know, Jesus could have been there and could have helped them. Sounds like a great idea, but that wasn't the plan. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit is sent upon the accomplishment and merit of Christ's work. And it was about to be done. Wasn't done yet, John sixteen. Wasn't done yet, but when it gets done, Holy Spirit's coming. Remember John seven thirty nine. That I love John when he, We read this earlier. He says, "For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified." There's our explanation. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to continue the ministry Christ had already started. Let's be real clear. This is not a new, separate ministry that the Holy Spirit brings, but a supplemental ministry. He brings to your remembrance all things Christ has spoken. He's about magnifying Christ. You know, we need to be real clear on discerning the Holy Spirit, don't we? Testing the Spirit of God. John has something to say about this in his first epistle, doesn't he? First John chapter 4. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here it is. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So. If someone is talking to you and professes to have the Spirit of God in them, and yet they deny Christ or deny that He is the Son of God, you can be sure the Holy Spirit is absent. The Holy Spirit is not going to contradict the Word of God, by which, by the way, co-author, Holy Spirit, okay? As men were writing this, they were carried along by whom? The Holy Spirit. That becomes very important too, because in terms of living, abiding in Christ, because if he's the one that wrote the book, think about how he's gonna help you understand it. By the way, at the the beginning of John's gospel in chapter one, we we talked about in, in verse 18, about how Jesus declared the father We see in John 16, 13, the Spirit declares Jesus. He's the one who declares Jesus. The Spirit does. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And you sit here far removed from the day when Jesus went to the Father's house. But you know, as you look at your life in Christ can you truly say that the Holy Spirit has served as an advantage for you? Husbands, can your wife and children notice the advantage of the Holy Spirit in you? Wives, can your husband and children notice the advantage of the Holy Spirit in you? Young people, Do your friends and peers and other relatives? Do they recognize the advantage of the Holy Spirit in you? Look at where Jesus goes with this, verses 8 through 11. The ministry of the Holy Spirit upon his arrival is going to impact the world as well as the believer. Verse 8. And when he comes, when he has come... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. All right, let's, let's, let's see this, because this can be kind of confusing. This may be one of those passages that you've read, and you're like, wow, what, what is he talking about here? What's that mean? All right, so let's understand first, the Holy Spirit has a convicting Ministry to the world. Okay. The Holy Spirit has a convicting ministry to the world. Jesus says that when he comes, he will convict the world. First of all, of sin. Because they do not believe in me. What's that mean? One of the priorities of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of its sin. More specifically, the Holy Spirit shines his convicting light on the fact that the world does not believe in Jesus. Let's think about that for just a moment. One writer here says, Notice that it is not the sin of gambling, though that may come in time. It's not the sin of adultery or drunkenness or pride or stealing primarily, but the sin of refusing to believe on Jesus. Why is this? It is not because the other sins are not sin or that they need not be repented of and renounced, for they must be. It is just that belief in Christ, the one thing God requires for salvation, is that which is the hardest for the natural man even to acknowledge, let alone attain. Does the average unbeliever look on unbelief as sin? Not at all. If anything is true, it is the opposite. He generally looks upon unbelief as a mark of his supposed intellectual sophistication. So, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. Okay, sin of unbelief. What else? He will convict the world, text says, of righteousness. Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What does that mean? Well, let's ask the question, who is the representation of God's perfect righteousness? Is it not Christ himself? He's leaving, going to the Father by way of the cross. The fact that he's leaving implies that the believer no longer will have Jesus to look at. He won't be there. The baton is being passed to the Holy Spirit to put on display what righteousness is and to shine his light on where it can be found. You see, the Holy Spirit points his light toward whom? He alone is our righteousness. Remember, the Holy Spirit is about declaring the Son. And in the Son, we see the Father revealed, don't we? You see how they're all right there together? Connected together? So, convicting the world of righteousness ought not be a problem for the Holy Spirit. He knows the Son... And specializes in declaring his righteousness. Without the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the world remains in sin and is subject to judgment. Great segue, because what's the next thing he's talking about? He's going to convict the world of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Is judged. I love that. You know, I love how the fact the Bible, so many times, we did this in Romans. It happened in Romans. We saw it. About how things are declared to be true and they haven't even happened yet. You ever see that? You get that in the text? The ruler of this world is judged. Count it. It's going to happen. He's judged. Romans 8, 28, 29, 30 is kind of the same line. Speaking of his glorification as though it's already happened. You can just put it in the bank. It's going to happen. You see, with the cross in view and his arrival at the Father's house on his mind, Jesus can, with great certainty, count the ruler of this world already judged. At the cross, death would be defeated. The power of sin and death, the trump card of the ruler of this world, his power is effectively disarmed. And the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of judgment to come. In fact, John three 18, two verses after that familiar verse, Jesus says, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But... How does the ministry of the Spirit relate to those who believe in Jesus? Listen to what one writer says here. I believe he's right on point, And it's a great reminder for every single one of us who believe in Jesus today. It is true that this passage is primarily about the work of the Holy Spirit by which he convicts the world of sin and thus points men and women to Jesus Christ as the Savior. But notice... That while it is true that it is the Holy Spirit who convicts men and women of sin, he nevertheless does it through us. Let that soak in for just a moment. He does that through us. Jesus indicates in these verses, saying, It is expedient for you that I go away. If I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, that is, unto you, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This means that the Lord is sending the Holy Spirit to believers and that it is as he works through them and in them that he convicts the world. Do you see this? Do you see how you're involved in this? You're not a passive onlooker you're a part of this you get to be involved in this I grew up and I played a lot of sports one of the things I didn't care for was sitting on the bench in fact praise the Lord I didn't have to do a whole lot of that I got to be out there playing and I don't know that there's a one of us that like to be on the bench but why is it that when we talk about being in Christ, being a Christian, being a believer, a follower of Jesus, we're content on the side? There's a sense of contentment there, of allowing someone else to do that. Well, I've heard people say, you know what? I put my time in. I've heard that. Church, as long as we're breathing... As long as the Lord has given us breath of life, we ought to be using it to serve Him. The writer went on and he says, Every conversion recorded in the book of Acts was through the agency of someone who was already saved. Jesus bore witness to the twelve. They bore witness on Pentecost and the days following. And that is God's way by the power of His Spirit working through human channels like you and me. You see, the priority of the passage here in John 16 is given to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit yet to come. But what an important truth right here in the text. The work of the Holy Spirit is carried out through available, willing, obedient vessels who take delight in being used of God, allowing Him to convict the world around you through that good deposit in you. ever wonder why the Holy Spirit is absent today in the church you ever thought that question that church has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit his power is perfect he understands his purpose he knows why he was sent the problem lies with those professing to believe in Jesus Believers who perhaps began with the Holy Spirit but have now operated as though they can do it on their own fine now. Isn't that exactly what Paul was speaking to the Galatian believers? Galatians chapter 3. See, to operate apart from the Holy Spirit, you, you no doubt miss out on the victorious living Scripture talks about. But you also miss out, don't miss this one. You also miss out on being a witness to the world. Some of you perhaps are content and you like the holy huddle. And you know what I'm talking about. The people who aren't like you, people who don't like the things that you like, People who dress differently than you. We need to understand something. That the world is going to act like the world. We can't expect the world to act differently. Because the text has told us here that the Spirit, they don't know about the Spirit. They can't see the Spirit, nor he's not, he doesn't, they don't know Him. Because they're not in Christ but you are the world needs to be convicted of their sin of righteousness of judgment to come and let's let's remember that this ministry of the Holy Spirit happens through a Holy Spirit filled vessel John 16, 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. (laughs) One writer, speaking to this, he says, redemptive acts, this is good, redemptive acts generally precede full redemptive revelation. In other words, he says, thus the doctrine with respect to the cross does not attain to full development until Jesus has been crucified. The full significance of the work of the Holy Spirit is not made known until the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And this very fact, namely that the Holy Spirit had not yet taken up his personal abode in the church at large, made it impossible to give any further revelation at this time, during this night. Oh, there are a lot of things Jesus would have loved to have shared with them. And he did share many things. In fact, I'm convinced he shared many things. Many things that aren't even here because as we read the end of John, it would have filled up books and books and books and books and books. Look at 13 to 15. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Do you see this connectivity between the three of them here? And you know, as I read about the work of the Holy Spirit to come right here in John 16, I'm drawn to the book of Acts why because the book of Acts or the acts of the Apostles is where you see the Holy Spirit in motion guiding the believers of Jesus in the path of truth teaching them all things reminding them of Christ magnifying and glorifying Christ who is the revealer of the Father the Holy Spirit works through Christ's church. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 said that he's going to build his church. He's going to build his church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, one of my favorite summary passages there in Acts is 9.31. And it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. You see, there's there's great comfort in the Holy Spirit, church. He is not to be pushed to the side. We ought not be afraid to speak of the Holy Spirit. Some well-meaning believers in Jesus are afraid to mention the Holy Spirit for fear of what others might think. To speak of the Spirit might imply to some that this church is going off the deep end. On the other end, the church must not forget her head. Who's the head? It's Christ. It's Christ. The Holy Spirit and Christ, they go hand in hand along with the Father. They're all there together. We can't just take the Holy Spirit and 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 just go with the Holy Spirit and and push the other two aside no we can't do that because the text clearly states otherwise that the Holy Spirit is about pointing us to Jesus as you continue toward the end of John 16 you see Jesus's words coming to a crescendo and he addresses the weeping and lamenting that's going to be happening when he leaves. He encourages them. He says that the joy that you have, no one will take from you. If you are in Christ and you have the spirit of Christ in you, that's a good reminder. For your sorrowful heart. There's not a circumstance, there's not a person, there's nothing that can steal your joy in Christ Jesus, church. Talks about prayer again. And then he he gets to these words in verse 28. Look near the end of the chapter. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. In other words... I am God and as God I've come into the world Emmanuel God with us in the form of a man Philippians 2 speaks of that now I'm about to leave the world death by way of the cross burial resurrection ascension and go to the Father that's where he's going he's going to the Father's house By way of the cross. And so listen to the response from the disciples. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly. (laughs) I love this verse. Now you're speaking plainly. And using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things. And have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus is speaking plainly, openly for his disciples. He puts it forward very clearly for them. And the response is wonderful on the surface, isn't it? The response is wonderful. But as you continue reading on in John's gospel, as you continue reading, the words here don't quite match up with how these guys are going to operate. In just a few moments, minutes, a couple hours perhaps, not long, the guys who are now professing to believe wholeheartedly in Christ, these disciples will abandon him. So look at look what Jesus says here in 31 32. Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. You know, much like the time when Peter spoke those bold words, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And right after that, Jesus says, Peter... You're going to deny me three times this very night before the rooster crows. You see, the disciples here express to Jesus... Here's what they're expressing to Him. They're expressing to Him that they finally get it. They finally understand who He is. They no longer have need to ask Him questions. We believe! And the statement is made. It sounds good... But Jesus, who knows the hearts of men, says, do you now believe? In other words, really? In, in just a few short minutes, you guys are going to run. You guys are going to be gone. You're going to scatter to your own house. You're going to leave me unattended. No, no. Guys... You, you don't yet get it, let me assure you. But know this, I am not alone. My Father is with me. And there's another helper who's going to be coming. And he's going to help you understand it. John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, guys, the words I have spoken to you have been with a purpose. That, that in me... Guys, in me, that's the key, that union with Christ that we've spoken of. In me, you must abide in me. You must let my words abide in you. Keep my commandments. Abide in my love. Serve others as I have served you. Remember when I washed your feet and I said, this example I've given that you go and do likewise. Let my joy be in you that your joy may be full. Here's the purpose, that in me you may have peace. What kind of peace is Jesus talking about? Just go back to near the end of 14 because he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. In what context does this peace come? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, this peace is different from what the world offers. This peace of Jesus is unique. This peace according to one writer, is contentment and trust in God even in the midst of tribulation. This is the meaning of the Christian's peace, he writes. It is not an absence of conflict or any other kind of trial or disappointment. Rather, it is contentment and trust in God in spite of such circumstances. Remember Paul writing in Romans 5.1, he says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two verses later, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. How is that? Verse 5 of Romans 5 says, Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, did you catch that? Having been justified, we have peace with God. How do we have peace with God? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross. But not only that, because of what Christ did, that peace that we have, now we can glory in tribulations that come our way. How can we do that? Because of the Holy Spirit, who's been poured out in our hearts. You see, the peace is needed in light of the world, church, where we live. Tribulation is in the world. Trials abound. Challenges confront you each day. Unfavorable circumstances happen. Conflict is looming. The phone rings and you are informed of bad news. Right? Peace with God is what you need to navigate through the storms of life. It's what, it's what you need. When the news arrived, from his wife that his daughters had died at sea. Horatio Spafford could write it is well with my soul. Church, no one writes such a thing without the peace of God. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot. with the peace. with the sorrows. Whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say. Oh, I, I, I got to stop right there. Thou hast taught me to say. You see, there's, there's a sense in the words of the writer of this hymn. That he's been abiding in the vine of Christ. He's been walking in the commandments of Christ. He's been desiring, Lord, teach me your statutes, the psalmist writes. He's been doing it. It's like Daniel in chapter 6, verse 10. He got down and he prayed after hearing the decree, just as he had always done. It was a part of his life. Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul, though Satan should buffet. Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance... We sing about blessed assurance. Jesus is mine, right? Let this blessed assurance control. Let this be the controlling factor in my life. Though Satan does what he's going to do, though trials come in my life, let this blessed assurance control. What is it? That Christ hath regarded my helpless estate, Romans 5, 6 and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Let that be the blessed assurance that controls all things. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. We wait, do we not? As a citizen of heaven, we wait eagerly for a Savior to come. In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Without the peace of God in your life, you will never grasp this wonderful news. You cannot be of good cheer in the midst of your tribulation, without the peace of God. If you are not in Christ, his overcoming may not mean a whole lot to you right now, perhaps. But I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes today as you hear the word of God, that's how it happens, you hear the word of God, it's not Steve speaking, you hear the word of God and he opens your eyes to be able to see and he opens your ears to be able to hear the truth. That you would see the significance of such a statement. Because Jesus has overcome. Again, he speaks as though the cross has already accomplished its intended purpose. Because Jesus has overcome, if you are in Christ, you too can overcome as well. How do I know that to be true? The Bible says so. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We could go through Revelation. I'm going to just gonna give you two of them. We talked about this a few months ago when we looked at the churches in Revelation. But here are a couple in particular that jump off the page. Revelation 3:5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. That's the kind of garment I, I would love to have. A white garment. Okay? I will not... He says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Praise the Lord. I want my name written in the book of life. I hope you do too. This is what happens to him who overcomes. Okay? He says... I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in heaven. I have overcome the world. One writer says, These words were spoken within the shadow of Golgotha. The very foot of the cross. They were spoken On the verge of what surely seemed to be a defeat. But they were true then. And if they were true then, it is even more abundantly demonstrated that they're true now. Church, do you believe them to be true? You see, in Jesus, you can have the peace being described here. In Jesus, you can be an overcomer. In Jesus, you can stand in victory. In Jesus, only in Jesus, you can sing, It is well with my soul. Only in Jesus can we sing those, those words. Whether it's peace like a river, or sorrows like sea billows rolling, whatever your lot may be today, if you are in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit abiding in you, you can declare with great assurance, It is well with my soul. And the question I have is, Is it well today, right now, with your soul? And I want to conclude by reading John chapter 7. Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul today? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. He cried out. He cried out so that everyone could hear, and this is exactly the invitation that goes out this morning, that everyone might hear. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, Jesus says, and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Holy Spirit, come, move in us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for this word that you've given to us. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. This hope that serves as an anchor for our soul. Father, there may be some here today. In fact, I'm convinced there are some here today. Have sorrowful hearts. Cares of this life are beating on them. Circumstances that they're in are not favorable. Father, I pray that they would see the urgency to have this peace with you that only comes through believing in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today if there are some here who do not believe, have not believed. Lord, that you would convict them through your Holy Spirit as your word was taught. I pray, Father, that you would convict them of that sin of unbelief. That you would point them to the only one who is righteous, that is Christ. That you would show them where that righteousness is found. It's found in Jesus Christ. That you would impress upon their soul. Judgment to come. That that, Lord there there is a real place called hell. There is a real place called heaven. And at the end of this time when our bodies die. They're mortal. They're going to die. And at the end of that time Lord. If we have the spirit of Christ in us. Father if we don't we see that the wages of our sin is death. Not just the fact that we're going to die. We're all going to die physically. Unless the Lord shall come back. And if he does, wonderful. Praise the Lord. But if not, Father, he's going to look and he's going to be able to see that good deposit within us. He's going to be able to see the blood of Christ covering us. May we claim the blood of Jesus. May we be washed in that blood of the Lamb. May we be forgiven of the sin in our lives. First and foremost, that sin of unbelief. May we receive and believe, as John records in John chapter 1, verse 12. Receive and believe Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, I pray that to be true for people here in this room. Your truth, Lord. Your truth ought not go Forward without acceptance. Jesus Jesus said He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. This is the way to the Father's house. Oh Lord, I pray that there would not be one here who thinks that he's going to be able to get to the Father's house some other way other than the gate, other than the door of Jesus. Father, if that's true, I pray you would open them up to hear and to receive your truth, to know that Jesus truly is the only way and that today they would come to know that truth and they would walk in that truth and that, Lord, they would be justified having that peace with you and be able to go through tribulations and trials in this life because they too now have the Holy Spirit in them. That love has been poured out in their hearts. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you so much for this word of truth. Thank you for the heart of Christ before the cross. Oh, Lord, it's been a wonderful joy to be able to study and to learn from Jesus himself as he's instructing his disciples. I thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.